0: Namaskaram. Um last time, last month I spoke about verses um 16 and 17 of Upadeshasara. So this time I'm due to begin from verse 18. But in order to fully understand the import of verse 18, we need to understand it in the context. Um <clears> the <throat> U- Upadhesha Sāra, Bhagavan wrote, in a, it is uh, organized in a very systematic way, um, d- covering all the different vari- various kinds of practice and how they all eventually lead to the practice of self-investigation. So, um, the, um, in Vedanta, when we, we always go from the gross to the subtle, from the outer to the inner. For example, when we talk about the, the Panchakosha, the five sheaves, we talk about the grossest first. When we when we list, when we talk, we start from the grossest and go to the subtlest Anamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, Manamaya Kosha, Vijnanamaya Kosha, Anandamaya Kosha. Each each consecutive one is more subtle than the previous one. Likewise, when we talk about the antakarana, the antakarana is said to have four functions. And when we talk about the four functions of the antakarana, we go from the grossest to the subtlest. Uh, manas, uh, uh, buddhi, chittam, ahankaram. This is the, so there's a reason for this, because in, uh, in Vedanta, but always the external things are grosser. But deeper we go within, the more subtle it becomes. So Vedanta is a is a is a journey from the gross to the subtle, from the outer to the inner. So Bhagavan has um, wrote Upadesha Sara in that same logical sequence. So he begins Upadesha Sara. In the first two verses, he's talking about karma in general. Karma is very external; it's action, it's it's doing. So that is uh, gross, uh, or relatively gross. Then, um, so in the first two verses, he talks about karma in general. Then, from verses um, uh, verse three onwards, he begins to talk about the path of bhakti. But the path of bhakti begins with karma, begins with doing, but not karma, uh, not not karmia karma, but nishkarmiya karma. So from verse three, Bhagavan starts to talk about Nishkarmiya karma. That is more subtle than the karmia karma, because it's more, the aim is more inward. Um so first in verse three, he talks about um, he he says that in verse two he says, but um um, this but karma does not give liberation. In fact, in Upadesh in Tamil, he says it vidu tarale. It does not give liberation. In Sanskrit, he says gati nirodhakam. It obstructs the, the liberation. Gati there means the goal of a liberation. Um, so, but then he says, but if the action is done without desire for the fruit, but for the love of God. It will purify the mind and show the way to liberation. That's the import of verse three. And then he begins to, so that's the beginning of the path of bhakti. But as I say, the path of bhakti begins with action. I always, we begin from grosser and go to the subtler. So the the path of bhakti begins with uh, nishkarmiya karma. That's action done for the love of God. And what are the actions we can do for the love of God? in verse 4 bhagavan talks about there are three types of action well there are three instruments of action body speech and mind and so there are three types of actions we can do actions of body actions of speech and actions of mind the actions of body that we do for the love of god a puja the actions of speech that we do for the love of god a japa the actions uh, of mind, but we do for the love of God is dhyana. So he 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 says he he talks about these the these three types of action done by these three types of instruments, and he says in this order, it each is superior to the previous one. What does he mean by superior? In the previous verse, in verse three, he said Nishkarma ya Karma will purify the mind. Um, in Tamil, he says, and show the way to liberation. In Sanskrit, he says, Mukti Sadakum, it's a means to liberation. It doesn't mean a direct means to liberation. It is an indirect means, because as he says in the Tamil, it shows the way to liberation. That is, when the mind is still relatively impure, it will be looking, what can I do to get liberation? So it's looking for action. But actually, liberation is not to be attained by doing anything, but just by being. But we have to start with doing, because that is where we, we always start from grosser and go to the subtler. Being is obviously subtler than doing. So um, so the, the the benefit of nishkarameya karma, done for the love of God, is It purifies the mind and the purified mind will then be able to grasp what is the path to liberation. Um, So these three types of action we can do, the puja, japa and dhyana, actions of uh, body, speech and mind, respectively. Bhagavan says in verse four, each one is superior to the previous one. What does he mean by superior? In the context he means it's more efficacious in purifying the mind. So from verse 3 onwards, we begin to talk about mind. So note how how much Bhagavan is talking about mind from verse 3, either directly or indirectly, from verse 3 up to verse 18, the verse we're going to start talking about today. He's talking about mind. Um, So in verse 3, he said that, The nishkarmiya karma will purify the mind. Then what type of nishkarmiya karma? There's puja, japa, and dhyana. And in this order, each one is more efficacious in purifying the mind. Then in verse um, verse 5, he talks about puja. Uh, And then verse uh, 6, he talks about japa. And in verse 6, he says, the best of all japa Rub, that is uh, better than Japa done aloud. That's relatively gross. But Japa done softly within the mouth is better. Better than Japa done softly within the mouth is a mental Japa. So again, we can see there but we go from gross to subtle and the the subtler we go the more efficacious it is and he says that the japa done by mind is uh, is dhyana so that is meditation that's an action of mind then in verse seven he says rather than the interrupted meditation the uninterrupted meditation is more efficacious why because if we have love for god we will not, when we are meditating on God, we will not allow our mind to be distracted by other thoughts. If our mind is often distracted by other thoughts, that means we're more interested in other things than we are in God. So the, the more the love grows, the more the love um, uh, matures and becomes deeper and more intense, the more uninterrupted our meditation will be. <clears throat> but So up to verse 7, he's been talking about karma, actions of body, speech, and mind. In verse 8 is is where he begins to switch from the action of mind to the the state of just being. That is what he says in verse 8 is, um, in Tamil he uses the term Anyabhava. Uh, in Sanskrit, I think it's bhavana That is, b- rather than meditation on God as something other than ourself, meditation on Him as not other than ourself. That is, meditation in which we understand that He is I, and therefore meditate not on something other than ourself, but on ourself alone, on I alone. In Tamil, he says, that is the best among all. In, um, in Sanskrit, he says, uh, it's more, it, it, that implies in the context that it's more purifying. So, the most purifying thing we can do is not to meditate on God as something other than ourselves, but to meditate on Him as ourself alone. So long as we're meditating on God as something other than ourselves, our attention is moving away from ourself towards the thought of god either to a name or form of god so that is an action but when we understand that god is that which is shining in our heart as i our attention turns back within when the attention turns within that is not a doing but a state of being because when we, we, the mind rises stands and flourishes by attending to things other than itself as bhagavan implies in verse twenty-five of uh, of uh, he says he do, he says what is the nature of ego? Um, ego is the essence of the mind, as we'll see later today. Um, the nature of ego, ego is a formless phantom. It's got no form of its own, and it, it's got no substance of its own. So, how does ego come into existence? He says. Grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on form, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, it grasps form. Then he says, "Tadinal autam If it if it if it if it seeks, it uh, it um, it uh, takes flight. That means if if the mind instead of grasping form tries to grasp itself, tries to see who am I it will thereby subside and disappear. So the nature of ego is to rise, stand, and flourish by grasping things other than itself. Because the ego is formless, so all forms are other than itself. Forms there means any object or phenomena, whether gross objects like the gross objects of the world or subtle objects like the thoughts, feelings, and so on in the mind. <coughs> so the, the nature of it, so so long as we in any baba when we're meditating on god as something other than ourselves, our attention is moving away from ourself towards the name or form of god that is a mental activity but when we turn our attention back within to see who am i but the, the mind will thereby subside so that is a, not an activity but a cessation of activity as he makes clear in the next verse verse 9 in which he says by the strength of that Baba, that is uh, implies the Ananya Baba, the meditation on oneself alone, on nothing other than oneself. By the strength of that uh, Ananya Baba, one stays in Sat Baba, the state of just being. So that is how. By turning our attention within, we we leave behind action and return to our natural state of just being. And in the Tamil version, Bhagavan says, being in that state of being, which transcends bhavana. In in this context, bhavana means meditation as a mental activity. So in the state of being, we have transcended um, the, the mental activity, and Bhagavan says, Parabhakti Tattva, that is the the, the, um, the nature of supreme devotion. So the, the the pinnacle of the path of devotion is to turn our attention within and thereby be as we are. That is surrendering ourselves to God. That is the pinnacle of the path of devotion. So Bhagavan's path of Atmavichara is the culmination of a path of, uh, of bhakti. Eventually, when we come to understand, God is not something other than ourselves. God is the reality of ourselves. What we actually are is God. So our attention turns within, and thereby we surrender ourselves. We give up this separate... Uh, existent, this ego or mind, we surrender to him and remain as we actually are. And then he emphasizes in the next verse, verse ten, but being in the place uh, from which we rose, what rose? It the ego or mind, but rose. So it implied the ego or mind being as it being in its source. In other words, not ceasing to rise. That is karma, bhakti, yoga, and jnana. So. Here he's brought it from the grosser actions of body to the actions of speech to the actions of mind. Uh, So mind is a a theme running from verse 3 onwards, the the mind is uh, referred to in most of the verses. Um, Then in verses 11 to uh, 15, that is about the path of yoga, just as in the first 10 verses, he explains how the path of bhakti, how how the, the, the path of bhakti begins with karma, the nishkarmiya karma, but it leads eventually to just being. Uh, it leads, but it leads to self investigation, and self investigation results in the state of just being, and that is the supreme devotion. Likewise, he shows in verses eleven to uh, fifteen, he's showing how yoga. Yoga by itself cannot lead to liberation. Yoga is useful only to the extent to which it leads us to the path of self-investigation, because only by self-investigation can we attain liberation. So in verses um, 11 and 12, Bhagavan explains that by controlling the, 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 the uh, breath that's a way to control the mind that is by subduing the activity of the breath we subdue the activity of the mind because breath and mind are like two branches which come from one have one common source so if we if we if we subdue the activity of the mind the breath is thereby calmed if we subdue the activity of the breath the the mind is thereby calmed. so so this uh uh uh, uh Controlling the breath, subduing the activity of the breathing is a way to control the mind, but it simply controls the mind. It doesn't destroy the mind. So in verse 13, he says, but dissolution of mind is of two kinds, layer and nasa. What is dissolved in layer. Will rise again. What is dissolved in Nasa will not rise again. So, uh, our aim is, in that verse, he's indication that our aim is not Manolaya. Our aim is Manonasa. Yoga can only lead as far as Manolaya. It cannot lead to Manonasa because what is yoga? Yoga is Chitta Vritti Nirodaha, it, cont- it is restraining or curbing the activity of the mind when the my activity of the mind is curbed it, the mind will subside in layer we can see this every day when we fall asleep we when we become too tired to continue thinking but the thinking subsides and we sink back into, we sink into sleep, which is just a set of layer. But because it's a theta of layer, next morning, sure enough, we wake up again or we begin to, in the middle of our sleep, we begin to dream. So uh, from layer, the mind will always rise again. So our aim is not layer but nasa. So how to bring about nasa? By controlling the citta vrittis, the activity of the mind, by means of pranayama and other yogic techniques, we can reach the state of mano leya. But how to get to the state of mano nasa, the permanent destruction of the mind, that is what Bhagavan uh, teaches us in verse 14. In um, in the Tamil uh, uh, verse uh, verse fourteen, he says that the mind that is restrained by uh, breath control, if, if when one sends it on the orvari the path of investigation, its form will die. In Sanskrit, he says ekachintana. Uh, that ekachintana. We if viewed superficially, we can say one thought, but that is not the, it actually has a much deeper meaning. What is the one that we need to think about? That one, which is ekameva one only without a second. That is our self, our real nature. So ekachintana there implies apmachintana. By thinking, by turning our attention back to ourself, the mind will thereby be destroyed. So in yoga, we just re- we draw our mind from other things, whereas in Bhagavan's path of Jnana, we turn our attention back to ourselves. When we turn our attention back to ourselves, it's automatically withdrawn from other things. But if we merely withdraw our attention from other things, we subside in layer. So this is, uh, Bhagavan is, is, is clarifying here the distinction between the part of yoga and the part of jnana. The part of yoga is useful to the extent to which it leads us to this part of jnana, the part of turning within. Uh, um, so in, um, in verse 11, and 12, he's talking about the mind and the breath. So mind is mentioned in both those verses. In verse 13, he doesn't mention the mind explicitly, but implicitly it's there because when he talks about dissolution, dissolution of what? It means dissolution of mind. In verse um, um 14, um in in Tamil, he definitely used it refers to the mind explicitly. Yeah, uh, let me just see what he says in. In the Sanskrit version. Yes, he says manasam. Uh, Prana lina manasam eti so uh, the mind, so the mind that is settled down by restraining the breath, it will reach annihilation by thinking of the one. The one means. Atma, uh, our, our real nature one the one only thing that actually exists to the one without a second so here he, fourteen he refers to mind and in fifteen um he he also talks about mind that is the, uh, the mind of the great of the yogi um of the exalted yogi um who's the the, the mind that is destroyed um uh, but um, in the Sanskrit, he says, Nashtamanasa ut krista, ut krista yogi yoginaha uh, uh, kritya astikim uh, uh, swastim yataha. Sorry, my, I'm not very good at pronouncing these things. Uh, but that means the mind annihilated by the exalted yogi. What is there to be done because of standing as as? as as himself, that it, that implies that when the mind is annihilated, there's not there's no further action to do because he why does he mention action here? Because he began upadesha undia upadesha sara by talking about karma. So eventually, when the mind is destroyed, there's no further action to be done, no further karma to be done. Why? Because we remain in our in our natural state. We're in the state of uh, of swastity, being as we actually are. So in each of these verses, in in most of these verses, he's talking about the mind, if not not explicitly, by implication. So from verse 16 onwards, he begins to talk about the path of jnana. But since he's been talking so much about the mind in the previous verse, he begins to talk about the, the path of jnana with reference to the mind. So in verse um, sixteen, he says, "Drisya varitam, um, uh, kept back from what is seen, chittam atmanaha chitva darshalam. Chittam here means mind. The the mind seeing its own uh, chitva, its own uh, nature of uh, of awareness. Um, that is Tattva Darshanam. That is seeing the reality. The implication is the mind's own Chitva is itself Tattva. What is real? Only the, 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 the mind itself is not real. It's Chitva. It's, it's, it's essential nature as awareness. That is what is real. So seeing when the mind sees its own real nature as awareness, that is seeing what is real. So in these two verses, he so in this verse, he talks about mind. Likewise, in verse 17, um, he says, manasam tukim, kim, margane krite, neva manasam, marga When that means when investigation is done, what the mind actually is, there is no mind at all. Uh, this is the path because of its straightness. So. Up to here, he's been talking about the mind. And in in this verse 17, he specifically talks about investigating the mind. In in verse 16, he talked about the mind knowing its own uh, chitva. In Tamil, he says its own form of light. That means the fundamental awareness, I am. Uh, in, in verse 17, he just says when investigating the mind, when the mind is investigated, when investigation is done, what the mind actually is. In Tamil, he says manatin um, urve maravadu chava, when one, uh, without forgetting, when one investigates the form of the mind. So what does he mean by the form of the mind or what the mind is? that is the, the why i've explained all this up to here is to explain the, the purpose of verse 18 in verse 18 he clarifies what is meant by the mind because mind is a very uh tricky word because we use mind in slightly different sense in different contexts for example um when we talk about the the Antakarana, for example, we talk about manas, buddhi, chittam, and ahankaram. So, buddhi is clear what that is. Buddhi is the intellect. Chittam is the um, is the, the will, all the, the vasanas. Uh, ahankaram is the eye that identifies all these and says, I am this mind, I am this buddhi, I am this uh, chitt- chittam, But identifies itself with all the five sheaves. So, what is meant by mind there? In, in the context of the, the, the um, Antakarana, Manam means the uh, the grosser functions of the mind. Um, likewise, in the, when we classify the five Shis, the uh, Anamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, then comes Manamaya Kosha. Kosha, in that context, means the grosser functions of the mind that is, perception, memory, thinking, all the functions of the mind, other than uh, the intellect, which is the judging and discriminating and reasoning faculty of the mind, and Abba ben Chittam, which is the will, all the varsin, the likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, and so on. And Abba Bamba, the, the subtlest element of the mind, which is the ahankara, but ego, that which I ident- which which appropriates all the other five sheaths and says, I am this body consisting of these five sheaves. Um, so the nature, the function of ego is to identify itself, that is that abhimanam, identifying itself with each of the five sheaves. Um so in verse 18, Bhagavan oh, and also and I'm talking about the different senses in which the term mind is used. Often we use the term mind as a general collective name for the totality of all thoughts. But we also use the mind. We say it's the mind that knows everything. So we, we, they, they, we're talking about the mind in different senses. So that but what is meant by mind, Bhagavan is clarifying here in verse 18. This is the purpose of verse 18. What he says in Tamil is ennangale manam, thoughts alone are mind. Yavinam, of all, that implies of all thoughts, nan enum enname moolam, but thought called I alone is the root. Uh, Yanam manam enal, uh, uh, that means what is called the mind is I. The implication there is that we often use the term mind as a co- as a collective term to refer to the totality of all thoughts. But what the mind essentially is, is only this first thought called I. Um, this first thought called I is what is otherwise referred to as ego. And that alone is the root of the mind. So what the mind essentially is, is only I. Um, that is... All other thoughts, other than this first thought I, they come and go. But, but no other thought could come or go without this first thought I. Why is that? Because the first thought, but, but this first thought I is quite unlike all other thoughts, because all other thoughts are objects. The thought called I is the subject. That is, other thoughts do not know themselves. If you think any thought, think of uh, um, think of uh, any object or any action or anything if you think of anything does that thought know itself no it doesn't who knows the thought i know it so it's the the, the first thought i is the, uh, is the only thought that is endowed with awareness that is why it's often described as chit jada granti But uh, because this first thought, I, as Bhagavan said, it is that I that is always aware of itself as I am this body. This body, body here means not just the the physical form of the body, all the five sheaths. All these five sheaths, as Bhagavan uh, will clarify later in uh, verse 22, all of them are jada. And therefore they are asad. Jada means they are not aware. Asat means they do not actually exist. They seem to exist only in the view of ego. Um, so, um, uh, ego is a mixture of the, of I am, which is the awareness, and the body, which is jada. So it is the awareness is chit, the 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 body is jada. So the the, the not but ties these together or seeming the seeming but not formed by the seeming entanglement of chit and jada is what is called ego chit jada grantee so ego is the only thought that is endowed with awareness so all other thoughts exist only in the view of ego so without ego no other thought can exist so what the though the term mind is often used as a as a As a collective noun to refer to all thoughts, what the mind essentially is, is only the first thought, I. That is the import of this verse. So in the previous verse, Bhagavan said we need to investigate the mind. Here he's clarifying what is it we need to investigate? We don't need to investigate all the other thoughts. Um, There are some people who, who believe watching thoughts is the path of jnana. That is not so. That is in... In um it, it is often said, but we are the witness of the mind. The term witness is often witness the Sanskrit term for that is Sakshi. Sakshi is used in two senses in the older uh, um, texts. Sakshi is used both in the sense of what knows other thoughts, what knows things, but, but, but the witness as the knower of other things. Is ego, the first thought I. But witnesses, um, the the our real nature, Atmaswaru or Brahman is also referred to as witness. It's referred to as Sabasachi or, um, or uh, so. It's the witness of all. So, but there, as Bhagavan clarified, when the term witness. Is used to refer to our real nature, it doesn't mean that our real nature is knowing other things. What it means is it's in the presence of our real nature that all other things exist. So Bhagavan often said, in that deeper sense, uh, Sakshi means Sanadi, means presence. The presence of what? The presence of our real nature, the fundamental awareness I am. Um, so, but b- because this term Sakshi is used, um, some people come to the wrong conclusion, but we, if we witness our thoughts, we are thereby remaining as Brahman. That is not so. That is a, a misunderstanding. So, but when Bhagavan says we have to investigate the mind, he's not talking about investigating other thoughts. The only thought we need to investigate is this first thought, "I," because that is the essence of the mind. That is the root of the mind. Uh, so that's what he's clarifying here. In the Sanskrit version, um, for poetic reasons, Bhagavan puts the what is logically the first sentence uh, as of the second sentence. That is what he says in in Sanskrit is uh, um, <coughs> uh, uh, "Bhṛtya bhrite, tu uh, uh, aham bhṛtim asrita." That's that's the first sentence, but logically it's the second sentence. Then the second sentence, which is logically the first sentence, vrittaya mana. That means uh, thought. Thought vrittaya uh, is a plural, so it means thoughts are mind. So the, uh, that's the same as he says in Tamil. Enangle manam, That is thoughts alone are mind. So the, the thoughts as collectively are mind, but that in the first sentence, that too means but. But, briteya uh, the thoughts uh, depend on asrita ahambritim the thought uh, the I thought of a thought I. So of all the thoughts, the first thought is the thought I. They all, all other thoughts depend on this first thought I. Why? Because they seem to exist only in the view of this first thought. When we don't rise as ego. No other thoughts can exist because it's only in the view of ego, or thought "I." But other thoughts exist. Therefore, he concludes the verse. Vidi, vidi here means no, aham mana. Know that aham is the mind. That aham here is referring to the, the thought "I," the ego. So, what the mind essentially is is only ego. So, but. Why I I I went into this long preamble is to explain the context in which Bhagavan says this, why Bhagavan says what he says here in verse 18. Because till now he's he's hardly mentioned I at all. In verse 8, he mentions I in the context of um uh sohamitya uh, so that is uh the the the, the, the but uh, um, meditation on what is not about with the understanding that God is I. That doesn't mean that we meditate he is I. Understanding that he is I, what do we meditate on? If he is I, then what should I, how to meditate on him? To meditate only on I. Um, so it's not meditating on the thought he is I, it's meditating on the I, but is he. Um, so that's the only place up till Uh, Up till prior to this verse, where Bhagavan mentioned um, I, up till this verse, he was talking only about mind. The subtlest thing he was talking about was mind. Um, But what the mind essentially is, is only ego. Um, And it is ego that we need to investigate. When Bhagavan says in the previous verse, mana samtu kīm, Krite, the manasam he's referring to is only I, the ego. That is what we need to investigate. Does anyone have any questions on this or shall I go on to the next verse now? Uh, I see there's one question here. Pradeep oh. Kumar has written, I want to know the first step for self-inquiry. Can you guide me to the path? Right. Okay. That is what Bhagavan is talking about here. The whole well that is from verse verses 16, 17, 18, 19 are all about the the how to how to investigate ourselves. Um, uh, <clears throat> the first thing to understand is um, whatever words Bhagavan has used are just pointers. What is our real nature and how to investigate our real nature We can, is, is beyond thoughts and words. So it cannot be adequately expressed in words. So we need to recognize that the words Bhagavan has used are pointers. That is why Bhagavan said, ultimately, the truth can be revealed not by words, but only by silence. Um, uh, and that silence we can find only deep within our own heart. But because silence is our real nature. So, whatever words Bhagavan has used, they're all just pointing us in that direction. But we can discover how to investigate ourselves only by trying to investigate ourselves. So, let us consider the clues. I mean, Bhagavan has in so many places given so many. Um, pointers for us to this path consider uh, let's consider verse sixteen. In, um, well okay let's let's begin with verse eight. In verse eight, Bhagavan in Tamil, he talks about um, uh, um, Rababban, Anyabhava, Ananyabhava. Ananyabhava means meditation on what is not other. And he clarifies what he means by that by saying avanahamahum, sohamityasau, that is, in which he is I. So with the understanding that God is that which is shining in our heart as I, we should meditate only on I. So that's the first clue Bhagavan gives in verse, um, in verse 8. In verse uh, 14, he gives a clue. In Tamil, he says, if the mind is sent on or worried. Orvari has two meanings. Or means orum, the path of investigation. It also means the, the one path. The one path means the part of self-investigation. So what he refers to there is the path of investigation. Investigating what? Only investigating ourselves. So the clues are given, but he really begins to clarify what is the practice from verse 16 onwards. In verse 16 he says, um, well, I'll talk about the, um, from the, the, the Sanskrit version. Drisya varitam, um, that means kept back from what is seen. What is to be kept back? The mind, the chittam. Uh, chittam, he's using here chittam in, not in the specific sense of will, but in the broad sense of mind, mind in general. So the mind has to be kept away from what is seen so long as our attention is going out towards what is seen um we 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 cannot know what we actually are because when the mind is going outward we uh, that which is aware of anything other than itself is ego or mind. So by allowing our attention to go outwards, we are nourishing and sustaining ego. So first, we need to keep the mind away from other things. But as Bhagavan has clarified, merely keeping the mind away from other things, that is the path of yoga, Chitta vritti nirodha If you keep your attention away from, if you merely uh, Keep your mind away from drissia, away from everything that is seen. That means every all objects or phenomena. That, that will, will lead to a subsidence of the mind, but the mind will subside only in layer. So merely drissia varitum on its own is not a, a is 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 it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. What is necessary and sufficient is what he expresses in the. Uh, in, the, in the, the next part of the verse, chittam atmanaha chitva darshanam. The mind seeing uh, uh, its own chitva. What does chitva mean? Chit, as we know, means uh, uh, pure awareness or pure being. So chitva, we can take as um, uh, that tva has the same significance as ness in English. it, 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 it like aware, awareness. So it's a uh, chit, ch, uh, um, chitva, but um, because we, 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 the noun in English is awareness, we can't say awareness So we have to say, we have to take it as the nature of awareness. Uh, so our, what is our essential nature? Our essential nature is just that fundamental awareness I am, that is the awareness of our own existence, awareness of other things, is not real awareness because awareness of other things comes and goes. In waking and dream, we're aware of so many other things. And but what the other things that we're aware of are constantly changing. So awareness of other things is not the real awareness because it's constantly changing. The real awareness is only the awareness that never undergoes any change. That is the fundamental awareness I am. That is such it. The awareness of our own being. So Uh, What he refers to here as chitva is that essential uh, awareness, that satchit. That fundamental awareness, I am. So we we need to see that. Seeing, obviously, we can't see it as an object. It's not like seeing something with the eyes. We, we If we go to a temple and we have darshanam of um, of God in the temple, we are seeing an external form. But the darshanam he's referring to here is not an an outward darshanam. It is looking in order to see our own awareness we need to look, we, we need to turn our mind back on itself. We need to turn our attention back within, back to see who am I. Um, so darshanam here is is not the gross darshanam seen with our eyes, but the subtle inner darshanam. As Bhagavan has expressed it beautifully in um, in verse 44 of Arunachaksharam Ranamanai. In that verse, Bhagavan reveals to us, what Arunachala taught him. Arunachala is in the form of a mountain, so Arunachala doesn't teach him words. Arunachala teaches through silence. But what Arunachala taught Bhagavan through silence, Bhagavan has revealed to us in words. What he, what he says in verse 44 is um, um, "Tirumbiaham." Tirumbiaham means turning within. Uh, Tane. Dinam ahakankan. Kan. See yourself daily. Daily there means constantly, repeatedly, uh, throughout the day. Uh, see yourself daily with the ahakan. Ahakan means the inner eye. What is that inner eye? It's the eye of attention. So we, we need to turn our attention within to see ourselves, to see our own. What is what meant by ourself there is what he refers to here as chitva, our own f- real nature as awareness. Um, that is what we need to see. And if we see that, he says in that verse. Uh, it will be known. What will be known? In the previous verse of Akram Lai, he says, "Tane Tane Tatpa." One self alone, one self alone is Tatva. So we are self of the Tatva. So here he says in verse 16 of Upadeshasara when the mind, uh, the mind seeing its own Chitva, is seeing Tatva. Tatva means uh, here means what is real, the, the reality. Um, what actually exists? So, uh, because sat is chit and chit is sat, so uh, chitva is, is chit and tatva is sat. So, since seeing chit is seeing sat, it, it, it implies. So, uh, the uh, the practical clue Bhagavan is giving us here is that we need to not we we need to withdraw our attention from external forms, and Focus it on ourselves. we don't actually need to worry about uh Drsiaviaritum because if we turn our attention within to see who am i automatically we are we're withdrawing our attention from other things that is why Drviaritum is is a is a, a um is is an adverbial clause it's a subsidiary clause it's very clear in the Tamil version he says um uh, that means leaving external uh, phenomena. A uh, is a uh, is a tamil form of vishaya. vishaya. Uh, so veli it means all external phenomena. Uh, does that mean we can hold on to internal phenomena? No, because though he for poetic reasons he talks about external phenomena, we have to understand all phenomena, all all uh, all vishayas are external to ourselves in the sense that they are anya, they are other than ourselves, so they're extraneous to ourselves. So we're drawing our mind from all vishayas, from all drishya, um but the, as I say, that is, a, that is an adverbial clause. In, uh, I, I don't know the Sanskrit grammar so well, but Tamil grammar, uh, "victu" is an adverbial participle. So, veli veda victu" is an adverbial clause. It's not the main clause. The main clause is, manam tan oli uru ordele umme unichiya. That is, manam tan oli uru ordele." It means the mind knowing its own form of light. Uh, its own form of light implies its own nature as awareness. So, what he describes in Sanskrit as chittam atmanaha chitva is what he uh, describes in Tamil as manam tan oli uru ordale. It's almost exact translation, except that in, in Tamil he, he refers to chitva metaphorically as form of light. That means the light of, of pure awareness. And in Sanskrit, he says that is uh, tattva darshanam. In, in Tamil, he says that is unmayunachi. Unmayunachi, we can take either as awareness of uh, of reality or real awareness. We can take either way. And it amounts to the same. What is real awareness? Awareness of reality. And what is reality? Only our own form of light, our own chitva. Um, so, if, if we, when, we, when we read these verses, we need to think very carefully about it. Superficially, there may seem to be, Bhagavan is not giving us much clue here, but if we, when we think about it deeply, it's very clear what Bhagavan is saying here. He's saying, firstly, our attention needs to be withdrawn from other things. Secondly, our attention needs to be fixed on ourselves. If, but it's, these are not two separate processes. If we merely withdraw our attention from other things, we'll subside in layer. But if we withdraw our attention from other things by focusing our attention on ourselves, on our own fundamental awareness, I am, automatically our attention is thereby withdrawn from other things. And by that, then we are seeing what is real. And only by seeing what is real will the mind be destroyed. So here he's given us a very clear pointer to the practice. It is withdrawing our attention from other things and focusing our attention on ourselves. Um, which, as I say, is not actually two different things. If we focus our attention on ourselves, it's automatically withdrawn from other things. Then in verse seventeen, again he says, "Manasam tu kim magane krite." Um, <clears throat> that means. Uh, when investigation, um mag, here means investigation, krite means is done. When investigation is done, manasam to kim. What uh, to here is used in the sense of as an intensifier, it means actually. So manasam to kim means what what this mind actually is. What we what do we need to investigate? What this mind actually is. Um that doesn't mean that we ask the question, what is this mind? It means that we we look within to see what the mind actually is. But what does he mean here by mind is what he clarifies in the next verse, verse 18, the verse I've spoken about today, in which he says, what the mind essentially is, is the first thought I. So investigating the mind well, investigating what is this mind means investigating what am I? Not we're not investigating any other thoughts, which are drisya. We are to investigate the reality of the seer, the, the, the drick. So we, we, we uh, well, Bhagavan describes here as investigating the form of the mind, or investigating what is the mind, means investigating who am I? It's investigating the. The one essential thought of the mind, the root thought of the mind, namely the thought called I. And that thought called I is, as I said, it is Chit Jada Granti. It's a mixture of the pure awareness, Chit, I am, and the adjuncts, this body, which is Jada. When we are investigating ourselves, though Bhagavan often said, investigate, the ego should investigate itself, or we should investigate what is this I thought, he also clarified, when we're investigating this I thought, what we're actually investigating, we're not investigating the adjuncts, the jada portion, we're investigating only the chit portion. So in effect, we are attending only to Chitva, our our nature as awareness, our fundamental uh, awareness. I am. So, turning our attention away from other things back towards I am. That is the path of self investigation. So, um, uh, I hope this is you, you, um, uh, Pradeep. You asked. I, I I want to know the first step for self invest uh, self inquiry. This is the first step and the last step. That is, this is, this is a one-step path. The, the step is our attention, which is normally flowing outwards. We are turning it back to face within, to face ourself alone. Obviously, ourself is not an object. So we are accustomed to attending to objects. So we, we, when we begin to practice Many of us try to look for, what is this eye? Where is this eye? And some people come back and say, oh, I looked, but I couldn't find the eye. That's as if there are two eyes. One eye is looking for some other eye. The eye that says, I couldn't find the eye, is the eye we are we should be attending to. So we are not actually looking for the eye. We are, we are trying to... Uh, we are looking at I. We're looking at ourselves. We are trying to focus our attention on ourselves because we always know I, but I is 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 something far more subtle than other things. So at first we may have difficulty fixing our attention on on this very subtle I. People often say it's very elusive this I. So for people who have difficulty at first uh, understanding what it means to be self attentive. Bhagavan gave a simple practical clue. He said, even if you go on thinking, I, 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 it will lead to that place. Why does he say that? Because he doesn't mean we should meditate on the word I. Because obviously the word I is different in different languages. In Sanskrit, it's aham. In Tamil, it's naan. In English, it's uh, it's, um, it's, um, I, I. Uh, so in each language there's a different word. So it's not the word "I" that Bhagavan wants us to think of. When we think of the word "I" in whatever language we're familiar with, what any word we 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 use refers to something. If you say uh, "sky," we it brings a certain thing. It, thing to our mind if you say clouds it brings something else to our mind if you say um walking it brings a certain action to our mind so every word brings to our mind what that word refers to so when we say the word i what is that word i referring to so if we we are not merely to meditate on the word i but just think the word i and try and see what is this word I referring to? Superficially, we refer to this body as I, or we refer to the mind as I. But if we go deeper, this I is just the awareness, but knows this body and mind. So um, uh, um, we, we, we can find out how to be self-attentive only by, um, by, by trying to be self-attentive. That is, attending to ourself alone, that is the practice of self-investigation. Bhagavan has clearly said in, in Nana, in the, um, in the 16th paragraph, he says, yes. sadhakalamam Manate atma bil se uh, always fixing the mind in oneself. Oneself means that fundamental awareness I am, that is, uh, only to that practice does the the, the, um, name apmavachara apply. So in other words, fixing our mind on ourself, in other words, being self-attentive, that alone is the practice of self-investigation. So how to be self-attentive, we can find out only by trying to be self-attentive. If you want to, if you've never ridden a bicycle in your life, and someone explains to you how to ride a bicycle, you can't learn to ride a bicycle simply by listening to lectures on how to ride a bicycle. The only way to learn to ride a bicycle is to get on a bicycle. At first, you'll wobble and fall, but slowly, slowly, you'll get the hang of it. And after a few days of practice, it becomes second nature to you. You're able to... it. it it's very easy, to, and even if you don't ride a cycle for 50 years, after 50 years, when if you're given a cycle and get on it, you'll be able to ride it, because once you've got the hang of it. Likewise with this practice, we have to, we have to try to be self-attentive in order to familiarize ourselves. So the only way to learn how to investigate ourselves is to investigate ourselves. But Bhagavan has given us plenty of clues, plenty of pointers, um, I think there's... Um, uh, so we have two more questions coming in from YouTube. One is from Neera Kashyapji. The other okay. is from Mr. Sushil Mutwani. Yes. Would you want me to read the question now? Uh, I can or? see it here. I can see it well. here. If I thought is the Sakshi thought, then why is the self also referred to as Sakshi? You have explained this, but I'm not clear about the distinction. <clears throat> that is, words are used in um, the same word has a different meaning in different contexts. It's the same even in ordinary, in the ordinary sense. Um, many words we use in, for ordinary worldly purposes, but the exact meaning of the word is determined by the context in which it's used. So when but the aim of uh, of uh, of the Vedanta Sastras, when they use this word "sakshi," is to draw our attention away from what we are seeing back to our self, the seer. So first, we are we there's this um, process of Dr- drisya vibhaga. We we first distinguish, um, as in the text, it says, uh, "What it what is it but seeing all these objects of the world? It's the eye. But what is the eye that is seeing the eye? It is the mind. And what is the the mind, but the mind is just thought. So what is the the I, I, I means EYE, but is seeing that it is it is um, Atman. Atman in that context means ego, because it's only ego that knows all the thoughts and the objects and everything. By turning our attention back to ego, if we attend to ego, if we attend to ego keenly enough. What do we find? We find what we actually are. If, Supposing you, um, you're, you're walking along a path with Bhagavan at, at, at dusk. It's, it's quite dark, um, but there's still enough light to see objects, but you can't see very clearly. And you see something lying on the path. And to you, it looks like a snake. So you're afraid. Bhagavan tells you, no, it's not a snake. It's only a rope. But still you're afraid because to you it looks it looks so snake-like. So Bhagavan assures you, no, know. he knows the o- only way to get rid of your fear is for you actually to see that it's a snake. So how to see that it's a snake? I mean, to see that it's a rope? You have to look at it very carefully. So Bhagavan says, I, I'm here with you. I'll make sure the snake doesn't harm you. Just look at it very carefully. If we look very carefully at the snake, what do we see? oh, it's not a snake, it's just a rope. Likewise with ego. If we look at ourselves very carefully, now we seem to be ego. But if we, we, we seem to be ego because we're attending to other things. If we turn our attention back towards ourselves to see who am I, what previously seemed to be ego is found to be just pure awareness, which is what we actually are. So the, the witness in the sense of the knower of other things is ego. But the reality of ego is the pure awareness. Pure awareness is not aware of anything other than itself. Pure awareness is the light that illumines the mind, enabling the mind to know other things. Mind means ego in this context, and enabling the mind to know the other, to know other things. So the, the witness in the sense of the knower is ego. The reality of that ego is the, is the ultimate witness the pure awareness. That is why the, the term witness is used both to refer to our real nature, which is pure awareness, and ego. Because ultimately, they're one and the same. Um, uh, Jiva Brahmaikya, they're not two separate things. Why we seem to be Jiva now and not Brahman is because we're looking outwards. If we look within, we will see this, this very same Jiva, but seem to be Jiva is actually nothing but Brahman. So the... But the the reason why uh, the sastras talk about sakshi is they're trying to turn our attention back towards ourself, the, towards the one who is aware of all these things. If we attend to one who is aware of all these things, ego will subside and merge back into its source, which is pure awareness and pure awareness alone will remain. So the ultimate sakshi is that pure awareness we reach that by going through this uh, this superficial Sakshi ego, but the pure awareness. Pure awareness means awareness, but is not aware of anything other than itself. Ego is the impure awareness, but is aware of other things. So uh, there's a there, there's a <clears throat> though the, the, as Bhagavan said, the term Sakshi is used in two different senses. These two senses are very closely related because. If we look at the superficial Sakshi, the one, the knower of all other things, we'll see the underlying Sakshi, which is the pure awareness. I hope that adequately answered that question. Uh, uh, Sushil Motwani has asked, um, Namoramanaya, Michael, sir, is, um, is Shriṣṭi Utpati Krama before Ahankara comes, uh, Mahat, what is uh, Mahat and what is its place in self-investigation and self-realization? Okay, all these things about Mahat and Virat and all these terms, this is basically Sankhya philosophy. The Sankhya philosophy is often... Um, for for beginner for people who first come to Advaita, they're often taught a mixture of Vedanta and sankhya, but uh, it we we all these things are unnecessary. That is, sankhya um, has classified so many different tattvas. I think twenty. Uh, that is, the uh, uh, the two basic tattvas are purusha and prakriti, and prakriti is divided into a further twenty-four uh, pra, um, uh, tattvas. Um, tattvas in this context mean the basic realities. But according to Bhagavan, there is only one tattva, tane tane tattvam. One self alone is the reality. So in in Nana, Bhagavan says all the other tattvas. But that was talked about by Sankhya and um, even in certain Vedanta texts. All these are anatma, they're all other than ourselves. So our aim is, they're all rubbish. We're, we're, we're rubbish is to be discarded. In when, when Bhagavan first gave answers to Shiva Prakash and Pillai in this regard, Bhagavan used an analogy, but he simplified it when he wrote it in an essay form. The analogy he used in uh, uh, originally. He says, the hair in a barber shop, at the end of a day's work, what is a barber to do with all the hair on the floor? He has to sweep it all up, put it in a, in, in a bin bag and throw it away. It has, to, it has to be discarded. There's no point in analyzing how many, um, how many black hairs, how many gray hairs, how many red hairs, how many blonde hairs, how many curly hairs, how many straight hairs, how many uh, thick hairs, how many thin hairs, how many uh, short hairs, long hairs. Analyzing the hair, which is all rubbish, which is to be thrown away, is futile. Equally futile is it to analyze all these tattvas, because these tattvas are concealing our real nature, because they are not real tattvas. According to Baba, the only real tattva is ourself. So when we seek to know ourselves, we don't. It, it is unnecessary to analyze all these tatvas. This may be taught in, in texts like Vedanta Sara, which are, are primary textbooks. In the, when people come to learn Vedanta, they teach all these things. But it's actually unnecessary. Bhagavan has simplified it. He said there's only one real tatva that is ourself. The only tattva we need to know is ourselves. All the other tattvas are to be discarded like for rubbish in a barber shop. So we need not worry about all these things. According to Bhagavan, he is—that is according to um, to to uh, sankhya from prakriti first comes mahat and something and something. I, I can't remember all the tattvas. But ahankara comes only third, Ahankara comes after buddhi. Uh, or after, I think, the word for buddhi, I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, I, I, I've forgotten all these terms. But um, but Ahankara comes only second or third or fourth in the list, whereas according to Bhagavan, Ahankara is the root. Everything, as he says in verse 26 of Ulladunapidu, Ahandayundayin, <inaudible> andaitamundaham. If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, Everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. Therefore, investigating what this ego is, is uh, the putting an end to everything. It's a cessation of everything. It's giving up everything. So, um, we, e- according to Bhagavan, ego is the root. Everything else comes after ego. If we investigate ego, We find that it is nothing but pure awareness. That is, Now we seem to be ego because we're looking outwards. If we look back to see who am I, this ego, ego disappears and pure awareness alone remains. That is all we need to know. So let us not worry about all these classifications given in Sankhya and even in preliminary textbooks of Vedanta. Bhagavan has made it much, much simpler for us. Bhagavan doesn't want to burden us Learning about things which we are anyway to forget about. What is the use of knowing about all these tattvas? Are any of these tattvas ourselves? Even according to Sankhya, all these, the, the only tattva that is ourself is Purusha. All Prakriti and all the other tattvas are, are, are something other than ourselves. So the aim in Sankhya is to separate Purusha from Prakriti. So why to worry about Prakriti? <laughs> Let's investigate the Purusha but according to uh, advaita is more, is a much deeper philosophy than sankhya because according to advaita prakriti all the phenomena the objects exist only in the view of the subject the, the purusha and the, even purusha is not the ultimate reality but reality purusha is a is the subject uh, prakriti are the objects but according to uh, advaita Neither the objects nor the subject is real. What is real is the essence of the subject. The the subject is ego chit granti. What is real is only the chit element. So we need to go within to investigate our own chitva. That's all we need to. So we let us let us forget about all these. un if you want to study philosophy, the all the different systems of philosophy. Um, uh, uh, there are innumerable different systems of philosophy. I mean, they've been classified as um, as the, the Astika and Nastika philosophies. And the Astika philosophies are uh, classified as um, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga. Uh, Purva Mimamsa, Uttara Mimamsa is our Vedanta. And even Vedanta, there are so many different types of Vedanta. We can spend lifetimes studying philosophy, but what is the use? Uh, philosophy is useful only to the extent to which it turns our attention back to ourselves to know who am I? Because what is the ultimate question asked by any true philosophy is who am I? If we know, if we until we know ourselves knowing about everything else is of no use. Because how can, we, how can we know the value of any knowledge we have about anything other than ourselves when we don't even know ourselves? So first and foremost, we need to know ourselves. As Bhagavan says in Amma what is the use of knowing all else w- when one doesn't know oneself? And when we know ourselves, what else is there to know? So the only thing that's worth knowing the only tattva worth knowing is the one real tattva, that is ourself. All other tattvas are unreal and are to be discarded like rubbish in a barber shop. I hope that adequately answers that question. I don't answer the question because answering the question directly is, is unnecessary. It's just a distraction. Bhagavan has made things so simple and clear for us to avoid all this confusion created by all these terms. The only thing Bhagavan asks us to know is, who am I? We need not know anything else whatsoever. All Bhagavan's other teachings are just to point us back to the need to know, who am I? So the essence of Bhagavan's teaching is, who am I? If we know who we are, everything is known. In uh, one of the Upanishads, I can't remember which one, what is, the question asked is, what is that knowing which everything is known? That is our self. You are that, Tatvamasi. So we need not know anything else other than our Because if we know ourselves, we know everything. I hope that is an adequate answer to that question. Om namo bhagvate chalaramanaya.